The scripture this morning is from Mark 2, verses 18 through uh, 3, 6. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest fast while a bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how they entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. The word of the Lord. I saw a picture recently of a signboard at a restaurant, and it looked like this. These amazingly graphic art pieces of artwork that are, you know, outside of restaurants now. It says dinner special is promoting and it's just beautiful it's callig- like calligraphy and has all these colors and the the picture this doesn't really do it justice how incredibly gra- the art and the beauty uh and everything mixed greens and kale salad grilled pineapple goat cheese and balsamic something and then at the very bottom if you can see this taped it says and blackened tilapia, and it says in little writing there, which I forgot to write initially. That's really my bad. (laughs) So the main dish that this is all built around, and this is something that totally I would do. I I saw this, I thought, totally this is me. I mean, they got so into all the, look at all the, you know, scroll work around it, the colors, they shaded, the goat cheese is just the artwork in it itself. Oh, and the main dish, I forgot completely. (laughs) This is a picture of what we read this morning in the gospel, of religious people who'd forgotten the main dish 
And instead, it began to focus on so many of the peripherals of religion that everything had gotten lost. We, this, these verses can sound so strange to our ears because we don't function under Old Testament laws. And, and it's complicated. The, the law, our relationship to the law now is somewhat complicated. And it's a whole series of teachings in and of itself of do the Ten Commandments apply, which rules apply, how. It's, it's, and it's beyond the scope of what I'm going to do this morning. But if we have no sense of the law, we, we might as well just kind of wash right over. Woo! We might as well wash right over these verses that we had because we've got to have a sense of what they were dealing with in their context. So this is going to be, especially this front end, is going to be a little more teaching than preaching. So I have my whiteboard. For all you teachers getting excited, students, few weeks, you'll have your whiteboards back. Yay! All right. No, parents, stop applauding. So the... Um, so, before Israel begins, right? Does it begin with the law? Does Israel begin with the law? No. Israel begins with a man, one man called by God, Abraham, right? And Abraham, right. So, Abraham is called by God to walk with him. Just says, follow me. It, Genesis 12, it just kind of begins. Abraham, come, be my man. We don't quite know how God communicated, but it was a relational covenant. Be my man. Follow me. Okay? And so Abraham, what? Believes God, and he becomes right with God. It says it's accounted to him as righteousness. So this relationship, this centerpiece of what we know is the covenant relationship with God is based on relationship. Now, Genesis 26.5 tells us that Abraham had rules and laws to follow. We, it's not really outlined for us. We know there was circumcision. We know there was tithing. And there were other things he was commanded to do, but we're not, it's not really delineated for us. We don't know. It wasn't that, oh, I just do whatever I want and I have this relationship with God, but it's not clear. So we have Abraham. Then Isaac has the blessing, his son, and then Jacob, his son, it passes through him. And then to his 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. Still all based on covenantal relationship. I put my covenantal blessing on you. Now, this grows and grows and grows from one man to hundreds to thousands to million as they go to Egypt, as they're in Exile, or, or they're out in slavery in Egypt, and then they get back to the promised land, and Moses, the lawgiver, comes. And God gives back to the land. He begins to give laws. And these laws act like a boundary so that the people around them, all the ites that live around them, right? The Canaanites, the Gergesites, the Perizzites. I won't make any jokes about ites, but there's all these ites live in the land around them. And they, they were known, God's people were known as people of the law because they had this as a way to give them community life. How do we live in community together? A sense of God's righteousness and purpose. 
And they provide a separation. They provide a boundary so that they say, look, don't do what these nations do, their rules. I've told you what to do. And their dietary laws and their worship laws. And, And among them were Sabbath laws. How to operate on the Sabbath, when to fast, when to have feasts. All these laws separate the people from the surrounding people as well as give them identity and community life structure. Okay, got all that? Now, what happens is this continues to be the heart of faith. Relationship with me, righteous by faith. Somehow, even as Christians, we get the idea that once Moses came... The idea was now we obey the law and we become righteous. Never. The law was never intended for one to achieve righteousness. It's it's more like a scan that a doctor gives you to show you you have a disease. The law reveals how much you need relational grace. But, the big but. We as humans, it's so much easier to obey rules than to have relationship. It is. Relationships are hard because it takes that interactive work. Rules are simply binary. You obey or you don't obey. And what happens there is there's a constant pressure for the rules to come into the center. And so what had happened is... By the time Jesus came around, we'll just take the Sabbath rules, for instance. This was true of many, many rules. But that what was set up in the law, and the law can refer to the Old Testament sometimes. It can refer to the Mosaic law. It can refer to uh, just something other than grace. It's, It's not even clear sometimes when they talk about law. But... The rabbis, and by this point we we look at them as Pharisees and Sadducees, they had taken one set of these laws, the Sabbath laws, and we, we now have the question of God is set up in creation to rest on the seventh day. He's given them, in Exodus 16, a sense of when every sixth day you're to gather extra manna, not work, and remember my divine mercy and grace. Again, relationally based. But what happens is, then the question is, life goes on and hundreds of years go by, well, what's work? What's work? Because you're supposed to rest. So what's resting? Um, Okay, well, the Bible's clear in the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, that if there's a life at stake, if someone's life is threatened, you're allowed to work to save someone's life. Can I save my oxen's life? If I'm a farmer and the oxen's there and he falls into a pit, can I save the oxen, Rabbi? Well, okay, if you have one oxen and you're totally dependent, you can. But if you have two oxen, you can't. Okay, well, I I get that. Okay, my son is bleeding, Rabbi, and I'm not sure if I can save him. He won't die, but he's bleeding. Okay, you can put a plaster on to stop if there's enough blood flow that he won't live. You think I'm joking. There are books written on what is work. And even today, so here's what we got into. I was in Jerusalem a few years ago. My family took a trip. There is now, in the hotel we stayed at, you've been to Israel, you know this, there are Sabbath elevators. Because now, hundreds of years later, the issue is, is pressing an elevator button, breaking the Sabbath, is that considered work? It is. It didn't make it under the law. Now, we look at that and go, what? They take the word very seriously. They have thought about this. And so on the Sabbath, if you're an Orthodox Jew, you get on the Sabbath elevator, 
And you stop at every floor because it automatically on the Sabbath stops at every floor. So you do not work. It is one. It's not that they don't believe the word, but they've believed in. And what has happened is what had happened by Jesus day was that this had become these laws had replaced relationship for some, not for all, but for some as now the center of the law. It is in this context, I, that's the teaching portion, we're over, so we can go back to the preaching portion. This had now replaced what the heart of the law had been. What, if you had to sum up the law, how would you sum up the law? The Bible does it very clearly. First we have, what's the most important commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It goes, the New Testament goes far beyond all of that in terms of summating the law. Paul says in Romans 13, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are all summed up in one sentence. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Galatians 5.14, the entire law is fulfilled if you keep one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And this was all contingent on loving God first. So they, had, they equated loving God and loving your neighbor. So we say, well, why do we need the law? Why is it even there for us? Well, again, we, it's complicated and it's a big picture and package. But the issue for us and for them today is when you lose the heart and you take the tilapia off the menu right? You end up with the peripherals and you won't survive with the peripherals. There'll be nice garnishes for your meal, but it'll quickly either become stale religion or it will become so worthless and death-giving that you'll walk away. And when people often look and say, and I hear this all the time and you might as well, well, I, I raised in church or I did church and it was this or that happened, it was terrible, there was nothing. Often what's happened is law has entered, rules have entered the center and the heart has left. And it will produce death and people do walk away. So, we have these stories of Jesus, of them saying, now here's God in the flesh, right there in their presence, and they're saying, you know, you're not fasting. You know, John's disciples fast, the Pharisees fast, but you're not fasting. Not that fasting's a bad thing, but Jesus says, look, you're, you're missing the point. I'm here. I'm, it's like a wedding feast. You don't fast at a wedding feast. If you did, I mean, it would be a short reception if you did. And then they turn and, and they're eating during the Sabbath and they say, oh, you're, you're breaking the Sabbath laws. No, Jesus says, no, David, the pinnacle king of Israel, ate when he was hungry in the Sabbath. This, this isn't even written in the Mosaic law. You've added these things on over time to interpret the law. It's not even the Bible. And then ultimately, the one that really has to get you is in Mark 3. If you have your Bible, the third chapter of Mark, he enters the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. You have two people there. You have Jesus, who's a rabbi, who's a teacher in the Sabbath, in the gathering on the Sabbath day, and you have 
a man in need. Do they even see a man in need? They don't even see him. What they see is Jesus waiting for him to make a misstep and break the law. And so Jesus says to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to the people that were watching him, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save life or to kill? Now, this man's life wasn't in danger because the Sabbath laws were clear that if someone was going to die. But Jesus says, you've lost the heart. You've lost the point of all of this. And we talked a few weeks ago about the word schizo, how the heavens were rended open, torn to shreds, and nothing was going to be the same. We're not tweaking the situation here. We're completely replacing it. Jesus says, I didn't come to sew an old patch, a, new, a, a little piece of garment into an old rag. I came to throw that out and to bring new wine and something brand new. And so the man with the withered hand, in verse 4, they don't answer him when he asks this question about what's it right to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus looks around at them, and it says with anger. And it's not, it's not a flash. This word agapo is not a flash of anger. Not agape, not love. It's a different word. Agapo means this building, slow, considered anger. And it says he was angry and grieved. Angry and grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored. The Pharisees' response, were they, were they glad? Were they, oh, cool. No. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to kill him, how to destroy him. I guess that was permitted on the Sabbath. It's ironic, right? What's permitted and what's not. John Bunyan wrote years ago, he said, John, you must run, run, the law demands, but it gives you neither feet nor hands. Tis better news the gospel brings, it tells you fly and gives you wings. Law will always tell you to do things to earn God's approval. And if you feel better about yourself because you had your Bible study this morning, you don't understand the love of God. And if you feel worse about yourself because you fell short of your own expectations this morning or of the law of God, you don't understand the grace of God. Each one of us falls short. And each one of us is in great need every day of mercy that was new this morning. The law is there not to earn our righteousness, but to tell us how much we need a Savior. Now, it provides a boundary, and it provides guidance, and there's good things. It's not that the law has passed away, and our relationship with it, we have to consider it carefully. But it's never been the way to become right with Him. And whenever you feel or you sense or you want to look down on someone else because, gosh, when, you know, they should be doing this or that instead of this, or we need to not have these X's move to the heart. We need to be both angry and grieved, not at people's failure, 
We need to be angry and grieved at the hardness of heart that says we earn God's approval rather than having it be something that in covenantal relationship we enter into. It is and it always has been what that makes us right with God? Faith by grace. And now what we understand, what Moses and Abraham and all they longed to see was the one true God in, in the person of Jesus Christ because it is by grace through faith in Christ alone. They weren't as privileged as we are to know him. The cross echoed out in every direction and by faith we'll see them in heaven though they were before the cross because the cross stands for all time to save all who came by him in faith. We have the privilege of a fuller story. This morning, don't beat yourself up over your failure. This is why forgiveness is there. You carried an attitude of your heart today. I guarantee you, if you're anything like me, you've carried attitudes today that, would, that should send you to hell. Should. And I don't say that lightly. It's simply true. But today, there is a grace available for you. And if you have never accepted it, and you've never said and you think that because you were raised in church, because you were baptized in a certain way, or because your parents were, or because you're just a good fellow. Most of y'all are really good people. I know you. You are good folks. Right? Mother Teresa's better than you are, if we're measuring by that standard. And Hitler's worse than you are. Right? Can we all agree on that? By the earthly standards, Mother Teresa's done more than you have, and Hitler's done worse than you have. Mother Teresa is going to hell without Christ, and so is Hitler. We all fall in between that spectrum somewhere. It is grace alone. Should we do right? Should we be more like one than the other? Absolutely. But that's not the measure of grace. Jesus is trying to get back to the heart of what was lost in their generation. Sabbath laws, fasting, all the rules that they had put on. Do you think there are any less rules today? I tell you, they're not. The rules are plenty there. We've just changed the rules. I don't know what your rules are exactly, how you grew up, but all of us would rather be right with rules than right by relationship because you can't earn it. And that just grates against us because doggone it, we're Americans and we earn our keep and we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we're... We're not going to take any charity or mercy or, you know, we're not going to take welfare. We're not going to do anything to take anything from anybody. Well, I don't need anybody's help. You'll get just what you deserve then. And the Bible says, hell awaits. Because that's what we all deserve. We should fall on our knees and be, it should move us to tears that the grace of God poured out on a wretch like me and a sinner like me and you as nice as you are. We're far worse than we think we are in our position before God, far worse than we think it is. And the grace of God, far better than we possibly can imagine. And Jesus coming and is going to demonstrate the king has entered his kingdom, and he says, my kingdom has come, and it always has been based on the mercy of God, not because, Israel, you were a great people, but you were the least of people upon whom the grace of God was set. Hallelujah. This morning we're receiving the entrance into the kingdom in the body and the blood of Christ. 
what we could not do for ourselves because we were poor and wretched. He did for us by dying on the cross. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus Christ took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this and eat. This is my body. It is broken for you. When you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Then after supper, he took a cup of wine. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them. And he said, drink this, every one of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. Not the old covenant, the new covenant. It's shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. When you eat this bread and when you drink this wine, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes because it is only the death of Jesus Christ that is sufficient to make you right with God. To praise him this morning, rejoice in your inability and God's great ability. Let's pray together. Lord, this isn't our table, this is your table. We come humbly receiving the mercy. You literally condescended, came down from heaven to show us and to demonstrate how to live and then to die on our behalf to make us right with you. Lord, help us not to think that the Pharisees are somehow not us. Lord, because there's little Pharisees living inside of each of us in our little idol-making hearts that want to become right with you through our own merit. Somehow, grace plus something else makes us decent in your sight. And Lord, it is nothing but faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone that makes us right with you. So we receive this morning to ourselves your body, your blood, as a gift from you. We come in faith to receive it, Lord, and to walk away right because of you and the love you've set upon us. Determined then, Lord, to walk in the good things the law teaches us, not because we have to to be accepted, but because we've been accepted, we can obey you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.